Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eCampus News' podcast on the latest and greatest happenings in higher ed tech this month. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. On this episode, we take a look at the continuing transition from traditional paper-based campus processes and materials to all digital solutions. While higher ed isn't known for being the most progressive when it comes to modernization and these sorts of things, the pandemic and the shift to remote and hybrid learning really did accelerate what was beginning to be a fundamental shift. And I think some of these stories we have posted up this month give a good example of that. First, Laura Cavanaugh, she's the Vice President of Sales for Ambassador Education Solutions, writes about as schools continue to evolve these on-campus remote and hybrid learning programs, they are making bigger investments in digital course materials. She offers up a number of suggestions. I plucked three for our purposes here. Make sure to go up onto ecampusnews.com's news feed to get the whole story. In the meantime, she writes, number one, make sure faculty know how to effectively choose and use digital materials. Just like print textbooks, the number of digital add-ons available from publishers and third-party content creators can be overwhelming. From eBooks and publisher direct content to access codes, codeless access, and courseware, faculty need to be able to easily find and evaluate these materials. Adoption tools, technologies, and peers can provide recommendations so faculty can easily analyze, compare, and rank alternative options and costs. Number two, she says, make sure your systems are integrated to allow for single sign-on. Having the right integrations in place simplifies faculty and student access to digital content, plus makes it easier for schools to manage digital content operations. That said, implementing and maintaining integrations can stress your IT team and infrastructure. Digital content platforms and systems need to integrate with other on-campus enterprise solutions, including the school's SIS, LMS, and financial systems. Single sign-on from the student portal or from the LMS to the digital content will simplify access and provide a direct link to digital course materials. And then number three, make sure students can easily opt out of automatically assigned digital materials. She writes, federal regulations mandate that in most instances, students have the option to opt out of content that is automatically provided to them and included in their tuition and fees as is the case in inclusive access or equitable access programs. Unfortunately, the process isn't always straightforward for students or schools. Schools need to make sure that their opt-out functionality not only allows students to decline course materials, but also verifies the opt-out so that the student is credited financially. So a lot has to happen when you're putting together these programs and, and materials. Be sure to go up on the eCampus News and, and check out this full article. It gives a lot of great suggestions. Another insightful piece posted this month on eCampus was written by David Carendish. He's the founder and CEO of Capacity, and it's called Four Ways to Modernize Your Application Process for Gen Z. So as Gen Z students finish high school and apply for higher ed, colleges and universities will spend the next decade focusing on this particular audience. He lists a number of suggestions for institutions of higher learning looking to market towards the kids these days. Here's just a sampling. He writes, provide access to financial information, 
Institutions should provide updated financial resources available on their website, school portal, and within the application process to help explain the options and opportunities available for students to help pay for school. One way to help engage students with their financial opportunities is through interactive tools. With support automation software, students can engage with institutions by asking questions about financial aid and can receive instant answers or be redirected to the best applicable contact. With this option, the technology can quickly connect students to the best resources without wasting administrators' time. Number two, use brief and engaging assets. Attention spans are only getting shorter, he writes. Gen Z's average attention span is eight seconds compared to a millennial generation of 12 seconds. Understanding this can help higher education institutions garner this generation's attention while also increasing engagement. Short form and visual content goes a long way for Gen Z. The best way to provide this content is by keeping written information brief and to the point, eliminating fluff paragraphs and instead focusing on boldly key information that audience can quickly scan and consume. He also writes about using videos and other visual assets like graphs and pictures that can help explain the application process and provide students with information needed for completion. And then finally, he writes, be authentic. Gen Z is keen on connection and personalization. Another tip for engaging these students is through providing authentic content. Prospective students are interested in seeing and hearing what each higher education institution has to offer. Generic messaging, photos, or a general lack of information is just not going to cut it. So again, just another article posted this month that is really chock full of great ideas for educators looking to automate and modernize all of their processes. And finally, you know, amongst the myriad disruptions to campus operations during the pandemic, the ability to properly manage traditionally paper-based processes were completely taken away. The only solution was to automate, and most schools discovered they are better off because of it. Replacing old paper trails with codified digital workflows complete with these signatures not only better protects the data on those forms, but better ensures the validity of the transactions themselves. I had the chance to talk to Peter Mosinkis. He's the Deputy Chief Information Officer at the California State University Office of the Chancellor. And Brian Kelly, he's the Director of the Cybersecurity Program, about these trends as they are in, unfolding in the space. Here's a snippet. So, Brian, when we talk about cybersecurity, even within the context of the, the pandemic, that seems to be the number one priority. And I'll ask Peter this later, but I, I'll, I'll assume that that cybersecurity in general is the number one umbrella pain point for a lot of our audience and a lot of for a lot of tech directors at the university level how does forms process and e-signatures fit into that overall problem when you talk about phishing or you talk about other sorts of ransomware malware other sorts of cybersecurity threats do does forms processing offer a, a a specific sort of danger or a specific sort of solution that can kind of help aid or, or make it worse. Talk a little bit about where that e-sign, uh, the digital signature works within the threats that that you see. Yeah, I don't. I, I see it as a solution, not as a, a danger, right? And I think that's part of that cultural, we come, come coming back to as I listen to Roman and Peter talk and taking notes and 
you know, we want obviously focus on the security of any solution, but it is, you know, it's everything that, that Roman comes back to is change management, it's integrations, it's having the conversation around how these solutions, these e-sign, these digital signatures, uh, Adobe Sign can help reduce the risk of phishing because we're going to have a standardized process where we're not going to have paper forms being attached with wet signatures, right? So it it goes back to that, the technology's there, right? Roman's lived in this technology for two decades. I went back and I did some research. I found uh, the first time Educause talked about electronic or digital signatures in a conference was 2005. So this wow. isn't... This isn't new. It's it's. I think it's well vetted from a from a cybersecurity practitioner's standpoint, but we have to do these things holistically, right? So we have to talk in concept of when our our senior leadership, our presidents, our provosts, our board of trustees are asking about ransomware or phishing campaigns and how we can use it as an opportunity to message around this digital transformation, this move to electronic signatures can help defend against those attacks because. We're going to standardize our process. Our community will understand that this is the only sort of form of signature communication. So, you know, I think right now having desperate systems and that sort of that technology debt of scribbling notes, as Roman was talking, and sometimes we can't integrate to older systems. We can't secure those older systems, but we still keep them alive, right? And that's one of the roadblocks with that digital transformation is that we we have so much legacy technology oftentimes that we, we always want to sort of keep that in our institutions. And so that's part of that, the cultural change. And then that workforce, right? And I keep, so the three legs of that stool, the technology part is solved. It's changing the the tech, the, the culture in our, in our workforce, right? The programmatically, as Peter's described, sort of the workflows and how we can integrate that, to, that ultimately, to your point, improves the cybersecurity posture that reduces the risk, right? And it and changes the way we're positioning the institution from a, an adverse adversary or threat actors perspective, right? And that, that's all important, but we have to have those conversations with the business areas so that we can say by moving to this solution, it, there is a cybersecurity benefit to it, right? Where it might not be right at the top of, the, of mind when we're thinking about process improvement or change management or changing our workflows, you know, oftentimes security isn't the promoter of that, right? So that, that goes back to my point about culturally, the, the Office of Information Security or Cybersecurity is really now an advocate in helping the campuses move toward these solutions because it does help cybersecurity in, in the end. If you want to listen to the full conversation, go up into the webinar tab at ecampusnews.com and search for Back Office Innovations, Creating Secure, Compliant Workflows. And that about wraps it up for this episode. Be sure to check back on eCampus News for all the latest and greatest news and analysis for what's happening in the higher ed ed tech space. Remember, eCampus is always free and always helping innovative educators just like you. Until next time, I'm Kevin Hogan for eCampus News.